Welcome to the Mitten Music. Dude, you stole my jam, bro. I just took it from you. you. I was, all day, I was thinking, how am I going to blow this one up in the beginning? You surprised me. Yeah, I knew. I caught you off guard. I like it. But, you know, I won't do that very often because you do it much better than me. Nah. So. I just so. like getting goofy. Oh, yeah. Well, Jeff, it's always a pleasure. We've been meeting a lot more lately. Yeah, we have. A lot more interviews. We've had on. a lot of interviews. We've had a lot of, we did a slew of album reviews. Obviously, you guys know we're doing a couple album reviews at a time instead of just one, an old school one, a new school one. Uh, yeah, it's been going great. Yeah. Well, talking about interviews, we have an interview today. We do. And who do we have? Nicholas James Thomasma. I know him as a di- several different ways, right? He is the secretary, I believe, of the Michigan Music Alliance. He is part of the songwriters, song tellers, song tellers group. What is what is it? A group? Is it a just a series? It's a concert series. Concert series. Formerly the Listening Room, now Midtown GR in Studio Park, downtown Grand Rapids. You have solo project stuff. You have a band. You are just a part of the West Michigan or Michigan in general music scene, just generally speaking, akin to John Sinkovich. Yeah, we're so glad you're here, Nicholas. Yeah, thanks for having me, guys. Yeah, yeah. I uh, I appreciate you inviting me onto the show. I'm I'm a big fan of Mitten Music. Yeah, buddy. All right. Just, yeah. Got a fan. Another one. Another fan. Or maybe he just met music in Michigan and just called it Mitten. Oh, you know? maybe I met both. Yeah. He's nice. Always thinking. Always thinking. <laughs> yeah. So how you been doing? Oh man, I'm really good. I'm uh, I'm fresh home from the Earthwork Music Spring Tour, uh, which is Earthwork Music is an artist collective that kind of somewhat functions like a record label, um, but mostly it's it's just a kind of a loose group of artists that are friends and musicians. And uh, every once in a while, we go out and do these big tours, and we get as many of us together as possible. So for this particular tour, there were. 18 artists we hit five different cities in five days and it was beautiful chaos and Ooh. so much love and laughter and fun and and uh and so yeah I'm, I'm riding the high coming home from the earthwork music spring tour right now that was something we were gonna add. that was another thing in my head i not I, i'm bad at writing things down but i also don't like to just pepper questions at guests you know it's kind of just let the let the vibe take over and we just kind of go with the conversation how did the earthwork start is that something you started it was just you and some friends kind of just started it all together actually it was started by seth bernard oh, yeah. um, back in 2001 mm. and seth grew up on the earthwork farm and so hence the name the earthwork music collective cool. and then there's also the earthwork harvest gathering and these are all kind of separate entities, but are all centered around the same place, which is the family farm that Seth Bernard grew up on. And when he started the Earthwork Music Collective, it was right around the time that like Napster and all okay. file sharing was happening. Mm-hmm. So the record labels were like collapsing. And and so he, he didn't want to start a record label. And so he started a artist collective instead. Hmm, so like cool. I said, sometimes it kind of functions like a record label, but it's it's not restrictive in the same ways that a record label is. Yeah. Like I own all my own recordings. They just help me release them and promote them and such. Oh, okay. Um, so, you know, so there's elements to it rec- like a record label, but it's just so much more than that. I feel like there's I've heard of other bands over the years that are in groups like that. I mean, obviously the band Animal Collective comes to mind, and I feel like there's a history similar to that, but that's not what I was thinking. Ah, I shouldn't have said anything because now I can't think of some of the groups. I know some rappers like started in the West Coast, the East Coast rappers. They were in groups right. or like uh, Wu-Tang Clan. Like they yeah. were a, a group of rappers. They had this band, but they all had their side stuff. Like if you knew one of them, you knew the other one. And they all kind of just were this collective of you know, guys. That's, that's exactly that's exactly it, right? That's around that same time. Uh-huh. was This was like when Puff Daddy was building mm-hmm. yeah, his yeah, empire. That, and yeah. Master P had No Limit Records. And Suge Knight had like... <laughs> Uh, you know, uh, Death Row Records. And right. Like, it's very similar to the way that, you know, with hip-hop artists, they all, you know, collaborate on each other's albums. They are, you know, taking verses and sharing in the production of it. And uh, and Earthwork Music is similar in that, in that we, ha- we have individual groups and individual artists, but there's also a lot of collaborative work that happens together. Right. So. 
Where, so the Earthwork Farm, where it started, what? Where is that? The farm at? That's in Lake City, Michigan. Ah, a little bit up north of oh, Cadillac. Yeah, yeah. Yep. yeah. I know. We, I go Lake through, City's come up once or twice on the. Podcast I go through before. that every year when I go up north to my parents' place. So cool. The greatest fourth in the north, they claim. <laughs> is that is that what they claim? Yeah, oh. there's a big banner for it. Yeah. Well, I haven't been there in a long time, but yeah. I used to be. Yeah. yeah, I used to do work out there for. Yeah. Yeah, that's cool. Well, come on out to the Earthwork Harvest Gathering. It happens in uh, September. It's usually the third. It's the third weekend in September, and it happens on the Earthwork Family Farm. Cool. There's about a uh, hundred bands or so that oh, wow. play throughout Whoa. the course of the weekend, and then on top of that, there's all kinds of workshops and jam tents and um, learning opportunities, community building. That it's, is, we need to be involved in that. Whether we're just going to check it out or if we can help or promote yeah, like yeah obviously right. we'll promote it but yeah it's anything. it's really the crossroads of like community and art and agriculture because it's it's a real working farm it's a cattle farm mm-hmm. and they also have a sawmill on the farm oh wow so wow. they build everything there Dang. and then you know they they have a large gardens and such and over the course of about 2 weeks we turn it in from a farm into a music festival and then right back into a working farm again. It's, That's uh, neat. That's it's a pretty magical cool. event. A little different than Rothbury slash Electric Forest, where it's I don't I don't think it's an actual or maybe there's a farm there, but it's just land sure. that gets transitioned to this ridiculously amazing you know place to go check out music and art and all that kind of stuff. Kind of comes now two, two weeks a year instead of just one. But so how many years has the um, Harvest Festival been going on? Uh, t- about 20 years. Oh, so very close to when they start, he started the yeah. Collective. Okay. So this whole thing started with, uh, Seth was like releasing an album. It was an album release party. And, uh, and they had so much fun doing that, that they expanded it the following year. And then again, the following year and very Dang. quickly it turned, it, which is why they called it a gathering. It was not designed from the get go to be a music festival. Mm-hmm. It was a gathering yeah. and yeah. then it got a, bigger and bigger and bigger and while it has all the elements that music festivals do there's also a lot more uh, work that's or a lot more activities that are centered around community and family uh, and agriculture and learning more so than just music yeah okay that is cool that is very cool i didn't know all of that right hence the uh, hence the name earth work you know it's it's we we believe in in the intrinsic power of music to connect community and to heal uh, souls through the work and through the music and the earthwork harvest gathering is a celebration of all those things high five to that Definitely. that's cool i dig it so how long you've been part of the the collective or the group yeah i joined the collective in 2016 with the release of my album tall tall tales um, which was it's the second album that i released with nicholas james and the bandwagon which is my full six-piece band and uh, I had been you know going to the harvest gathering for a long time and doing a lot of events with other members of the collective and and it just kind of came up like you know we should release this through earthwork music and uh, the response was was like everybody was agreed that yes that would make a lot of sense Um, so I've I've been in in the collective now for I think, what I, since 2016, yeah, I guess. So seven, seven years, years almost. Yeah. 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 And then during that time period, we went through some of the most difficult uh, time of our existence as an organization, oh. um, partially because, I don't know, there was this thing that happened all around the world. I don't, <laughs> I don't remember what it was. But, um, <laughs> but also, we as a collective, we started asking questions about ourselves like, what is the Earthwork Collective? You know, and some people were like, it's a record label. And some people were like, it's definitely not a record label, <laughs> you know. And so we had to kind of answer that question for ourselves of, well, what are we and what are we doing? And uh, we went through about a two-year process of coming up with a whole new uh, mission statement and a, a set of core values uh, and a vision for the future of, of what we would like to see in our world and what we are doing as a collective with our music and our advocacy and our art. Just thinking about, so I, you're a part of that in the way you explained it. You have um, that your band and your solo work. I'm, I'm thinking that's a lot right there. What you do, that's that sounds like a lot. That's Takes a up lot. a lot of time. Yeah. But that, and I feel like that's just the tip of the iceberg because you're also very involved with the Michigan Music Alliance, right? Yeah, and that also takes up a, a decent amount of my time. But it, it's, a, it's a labor of love, yeah. and when you love what you do, you don't mind doing the work. 
and I very much believe in the mission of the Michigan Music Alliance, uh, which, first of all, is you know collaboration over competition, mm-hmm. and then beyond that, they they exist to provide music business resources to musicians in Michigan, and I just I can't think of how many times I have been told that I need to go somewhere else. You need to go to Nashville. You need to go to Florida. You need to go to Texas. You need to go to New York. Wherever it is, everybody always tells you, you got to go somewhere else. And I'd always tell them, well, I could do that, but then I wouldn't be here Mm -hmm. with you. Mm -hmm. Is that what you really want? And everybody's like, no, 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 I don't don't want that. And so what we really want is for musicians to not have to leave or not have to feel like they have to leave. And we do that by providing business resources to them to to help them through this because it's not an easy job. Yeah, a band, you know, you know, a band gets together, they form, they write some music, they, you know, they start trying to record an album, let's say, because they have songs written. There's the whole business side of being a band if you really want to be in it to push it forward. And I feel like it's so do it yourself these days. You can do a lot so much yourself. You kind of they don't learn that whole business side. They might, you know, they might not know anything. Oh, yeah. No, no. When you say that you're starting a band, no one says you should take business classes. Exactly. Right. right? But they should. Yeah, totally should. If they're if if that's their passion and it goes that way and they're. They believe in themselves that much and they want to take it to the next like without that you're you're kind of just going to stay like you're limited right right and yeah. and bands are businesses they don't have to be you want to be in a, in a band with your buddies and just play in the basement of the garage that's totally fine but the moment that money gets involved Feelings are yeah. also involved, yeah. and it is point. way easier to have this stuff set up in advance, like knowing what you want. You know, first of all, like, do we even want to get out of the garage? Because if one member of the band wants this to be their full time job and go on tour, and one member of the band has stage fright and can't sleep in in anywhere but their own bed, uh-huh. that band is not going to work out. Right. Yeah. It doesn't matter how good you get at practicing in the garage. That's a good point. Once the business comes in. It's work, and and so many bands, you know, bless them, because, again, nobody tells you you're a business. So many bands get started and then run into these problems because they just didn't know. And a lot of the really, really great art is sacrificed in the process. Yeah, I can only imagine. And I thought I read on the website, Michigan Music Alliance website, um, I don't know if there's meetings or it takes place, like, just part of the year, right, from... Uh, April to September, or maybe it's vice versa. I don't know. Is there only a part of the year they meet? I I, I saw something. Maybe, well, you know, you know what I'm talking about or no? I, I, I think I know where you're going with this, and we have a few different sets of program that programming that we do. Ah. And uh, the, the probably the biggest one, most visible, is the B-side sessions. That's what it was, I think. Yeah, and those are designed to be like, online tutorial style videos either panel discussions or uh, or workshops in in the form of like one hour videos um with you know music business education things and be kind of because of that we we don't do them in the summertime you know that's that's a little bit more of a fall through that's what i was thinking then fall winter and spring and then and then in the summertime we prefer to try and get involved in more in-person events cool so they're so the Michigan Music Alliance started with the goal of providing music business resources to musicians and then very quickly uh, had to do a complete turn as as an organization in response to the pandemic. Mm-hmm. And they immediately started saying, well, what can we do for artists? And they were the first organization to raise money and distribute mini grants to musicians living in the state of Michigan. So they raised like $60,000 and then doled it out in the form of like $250 to $500 mini grants to musicians that applied for and qualified uh, for financial assistance. And again, they were the first organization to do so. So Hmm. that kind of became how they were known. They started doing online live streaming events Mm -hmm. in order to raise awareness for the fact that musicians were basically out of work. I said, well, we're going to put you to work and we're going to try and raise money and then we're going to distribute that money. Um, so now that the pandemic has subsided and the, the immediate need for financial relief has, has gone away, 
the alliance is now getting back to what it wanted to do, yeah. which is build community and provide educational resources. And now, I mean, you've got a lot, a little, a lot different angle social media. There's a big push for that. So I, you guys provide some tools for that as well, like helping them work through that process. Because promoting yourself now is much bigger. Because you got to do it a lot by yourself, right? Oh yeah. I mean, the the there's a misconception of in the industry, in probably any industry, but certainly in the music industry that, you know, at a certain point you don't have to do things anymore, right? Like I need to get, I need, I hear this a lot. I just need somebody to do my booking, you know, and then I need, I just need somebody to be my manager. And, and now it's, I just need somebody to do my social media. Yeah. And, and that sounds great to have somebody else doing this stuff for you. But what the reality of that is, if somebody else is doing your social media, your job is to manage that person. And managing people is more work than doing social media. Oh, I would agree. Yeah, you know? completely. And Definitely. the worst thing that can happen is you got somebody who's great at social media and they're killing it. And then they get offered a job from somebody else. And they drop you. Yeah. And now you got nothing all over again. So it is important to do it yourself and to have an understanding of it. Because even if you're not doing it, you're responsible for watching somebody else and making sure they're doing what you want them to do. Right. There is no, like, I don't have to do that anymore. And I, 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 under, I understand this. And I see the frustration that it causes of, like, this is just so much work. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Now, if you have a band, you might be able to piece that off between different people, but still, right. You still should be. You know, somebody might be more of an expert. We've talked to a couple of bands, and one guy's really good at the. They've done a lot of self production, um, on their albums and stuff. So there's an expert in that room that can help do that and drive that because they have passion and they're sure. really skilled at that. And somebody else might be able to drive the social side. But if you're a one man band or you you have a band that doesn't have the skill set. You gotta learn it. That's true. the The distribution of of duties within the band set is a a valuable asset that not all bands realize either. Mm -hmm. Different people do have different skills. Mm -hmm. So my band is called Nicholas James and the Bandwagon, and I handle most of the business transactions and most of the social media. Uh, but I've got uh, in the band, Greg Baxter owns a recording studio. Ooh. Yeah. So, I mean, that's Benefit. tremendously what, helpful. What studio is that? <laughs> uh, Second Story Sound. Okay. Mm. Yeah, I've heard of it. Yeah. And that's how, that's how we got to be playing in a band together. Uh, many, many years ago, I was working at Founders Brewing Company. Yeah, buddy. And uh, Greg Baxter uh, was a Mug Club member, and he was you know, was talking about music, and, and he found out I was a musician. He said, well, you know, I got a little studio in my house, you know, if you ever want to come over and do some recordings. And at that time, it was just, you know, the, the a room in his house, and we did vocals in the closet, or in the stairwell, or in the bathroom, <laughs> you know, depending yeah, yeah. on where the it sounded sound. the best, yep. you know. Um, but since then, he's purchased a, a new house or an older house and converted the entire second floor into a recording studio. Hence, second story sound. Yeah, yeah. And so, I've, most of the recordings that I've made, I've made with Greg uh, at Second Story Sound, or we've finished them oh, at Second that's Story cool. Sound. So, uh, shout out to Greg Baxter at Second Story Sound. I wouldn't be able to do the recording side of it without him because as i said the distribution of like tasks i'm happy to write the emails and respond to the messages but i don't like being in the studio uh, working on pro tools you're a you're a people person i yeah, can tell right man you i i can see like him leaning in and doing the shortcuts and the you know and doing all the stuff and i'm just like looking at it going i don't I have no interest in this. You're like, I appreciate you so much. <laughs> yeah, just tell me when to play my part and I will, and I will cut yeah. it, man. But but I appreciate that so much because it's it's what allows me to have such great recordings. Heck yeah. That's, That's cool. That's amazing. Yeah. Se second story. Music. Record. Second story sound. Second story sound. sound. Okay, cool. We'll earmark that one. Give, give him a shout out. That's awesome. Heck yeah. yeah. That's cool. Talking about social, um, kind of diverting a little bit, but... You've got a you do this little um, session on Facebook, beans in business. Um, tell us a little bit about that and and where that started and originated from. And yeah, uh, beans in business is uh, is every Thursday morning. 
I get on Facebook Live and drink a little bit of coffee. I watched it last Thursday. Or talk a little Thursday. bit of business. Yep. And uh, it's it was um, mostly during the uh, it was it was during the pandemic. I was sitting at home a lot, <laughs> and you know, live streaming was was happening. But I I wasn't finding the same like joy and like playing shows. It's just not the same, yeah. you know. But I still saw the value in being able to connect with an audience in that way. And so I thought, I need more things to fill up my calendar. And one of those things was Beans and Business. I was like, I'll just go live and talk about music business. And immediately the response to that show, people started reaching out to me with questions. And I was like, okay, well, this, this is, yeah, this is somewhere. what I want. Yeah, yeah. You know? And so it's not every single show, but it's quite often I will be talking about a topic and then I will get a message from somebody who's like, you know, thanks for explaining that. I'd never thought about it. I never knew that. I've been struggling with it. And then also I'll get people who will reach out to me and be like, hey, can you tell me about this? You know, like I'm, I'm going in the recording studio for my first time ever. What should I do to prepare? Or I just got asked to host an open mic night. What do I do as a host? And these types of questions have led to more shows. And yeah. so uh, it, it was really just to fill some time during the pandemic. But now I just can't see myself not doing it. It's I've been enjoying it and I've been able to connect with people and really hopefully help people with it yeah and, and they're bite-sized chunks it's not like you're doing like i don't think your episodes are like an hour long or oh, anything no. crazy yeah. they're pretty short. short i think the longest one was nine minutes yeah and that, i was like that's too long you know i, I yeah. try to do five minutes or less yeah it, yeah that's short and sweet gets to the point and it's helpful and it keeps everybody engaged quickly right yeah and i think that there's you know certainly a place for like you know long long term like podcasts and stuff i listen to podcasts i listen to albums i I do all that stuff but this particular thing is like i just want nuggets i just yeah. want mm -hmm. people to get, to hear a concept or have an idea and then the people that really need to hear it will reach out to me and we can talk more about mm -hmm. it yeah. and, yes. and that has been working that way yeah it gives them a little bit but then starts the conversation right yeah basically one of the coolest episodes was about the tip jar. And I, I was talking to, you know, I always think I'm just talking to bands. Like, I'm talking to musicians, people like me who, who do this. And I explained, you know, the tip jar, if you don't have a tip jar out, you're kind of leaving money on the table. You know, people will walk up with their $5 bill in the air, like, where's the tip jar? If there's, you know, there's no tip jar. Sure. And then furthermore, usually if you see a band that's got a tip jar out, what that typically means is they're not getting paid that well. You know, and that's a, a variable statement. But typically, if the band's got a, a tip jar on the merch table, that's kind of their way of saying we could use the extra cash here. You know, but you don't see symphonies with a tip jar out, right? right? They're wearing tuxedos, they're wearing suits. But bands that are playing in bars, that tip jar is the difference between them making what they need to make that night or getting gas to hit, you know, the mm -hmm. next town. Right. Like, it's it's not so much a... a, a, an, a essential part of like it's it's just there's a misunderstanding of people come to see live music they assume that the band is getting paid and paid well and the entertainment is included in the cost of their meal and the reality is the band is really there because they want to be there and if you want them to be there you got to put money in the tip jar to prove that to them and after i did that episode i had so many people reach out to me like wow. oh my god i never knew that thank you so much for telling me yeah. It actually makes a lot of sense. It, it, we, we live in the United States where tipping is a thing, right? Right. S specifically, we grew up, you know, and we still do. We tip our, at restaurants. You know, we get service and we tip. And since the pandemic, during the pandemic, since it's like everywhere you go, whether it's fast food or Starbucks, it's like everybody's asking for tips. Yeah. It's like, it, they, like they, sure, if you want to tip them, great. But like musicians, they're the people that need tips. Like that's something you tip for, for sure. I mean, obviously you will, you'll tip at your waitress or your waiter or whoever at a restaurant, they're providing your service and you know, you know, they get paid a lower wage for that job. So tips kind of go along with it, whether you agree or don't agree. Um, but yeah, like when I go to pick up a, a pizza, I ordered it online, go to pick it up. I don't even talk to anybody. It's like, why am I going to tip out? You're kind of asking me, that's kind of weird. But a musician is like totally different. That's what tipping is for, that kind of stuff. Yeah. Well, and I think the the restaurant thing is <sighs> is just a habit. Like that's built over time since you were, you saw yeah. that, you tipped and that, but maybe you didn't always see that 
if you saw musicians playing, depending on where you went. Like I went to, I'll admit, when I went younger, I went to a lot of concerts. I went to bigger venues and saw some bigger um, artists, and that wasn't a thing, right? But if you go to the smaller um, venues or you get out, uh, like yourself, you're playing, I have seen that. and But I think it's a good reminder if you aren't thinking that thing. Some people might not understand outside of the musician, like they should be putting the tip jar out, like to your point. But right. but even the audience member doesn't takes it for granted, like right. you said. Oh, Just, they're getting paid tonight. Right. And, I've already paid my cover charge. Are. I paid my cover charge. That's going to the band, right? And maybe it is. It is, and maybe it's not. Right. So I mean just part of it. With that said, if you didn't buy a ticket, if you didn't pay to get in, then the band is definitely not yeah. getting paid. Exactly. <laughs> right. Fair enough. Definitely. Yeah, that's a cool perspective. Yeah. Um, back to Michigan Music Alliance a second. Sure. Did do you recall how that started? Did John start the Michigan Music Alliance? Or my no, no, he did not. No. I, I didn't. I, I you don't was remember because we talked to him did about we? it. Yeah, and then it's, that's my bad. Then, but it's been a while. Yeah, uh, it's fair. Yeah, for yeah. sure. Yeah, but, the, the Michigan Music Alliance was started after a conversation called the Michigan Music Roundtable. And they invited, uh, it, it started by the executive director, Elle Lively, and she invited a bunch of festivals and, and concert promoters and uh, recording studios and uh, journalists together to have like a State of the Union style discussion. And it was clear from that discussion that music business resources are, were very much needed. That there was a demand for this, and that there was, you know, something, some need for this as an organization. And so, Bill Chrysler, who's the owner of Third Coast Recording Studio mm. in Grand Haven, he said, "Well, you know, I've I've got this nonprofit that is like set up, but we haven't activated it yet, and that's kind of what it was for. And so, would would you like to get this going? Yeah. And so, L L Lively, along with Bill Chrysler and a couple other people, launched the Michigan Music Alliance." I think back in 2019, um, and then as I said, after their first series of of the B-side sessions, the music education series, it kind of switched into pandemic mode. Yeah. yeah. So you, you jogged my memory. I do. Yeah. Those names sound familiar. I know John talked about them. Right, and that's yeah. when John got involved. Mm-hmm. Is more recently, uh, once you know. Once the 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 alliance took off because of the the fundraiser and the spread the music events during the pandemic, uh, there was more need for like hands on assistance, and so yeah. they were looking for new board members and additional work. And you know, John, because he's so well connected in the community, and I guess myself for for the same reason, mm-hmm. uh, were asked to join the board. And and it's been it's been a lot of work, but also a lot of rewarding work. Good. Yeah, that's awesome. That kind of springs to mind. Uh, I know local spins fest is comes up in May. May was it May? I couldn't remember. Yeah. May or June? Yeah. May twentieth. May twentieth. Yeah. I, I do have it on my calendar. I actually reached out to John to see if there's any way we could help. Uh, are, do you, are you help out at all at the local spins fest at all or um, playing or no, no no? Actually, the local spins fest this year is a celebration of female artists in the Michigan uh, music community. Okay. Maybe I didn't know that. So I'm honored to not be invited. <laughs> uh, as uh, as uh, I think it's it's a worthy a worthy thing to highlight. Yeah. You know I. I I gotta be honest. I get invited to do a lot of things, and I, I've checked a lot of my my things off of my bucket list. And, and it, hmm. it's nice to see a lot of female artists getting uh, more recognition and more shots at the table mm-hmm. and more uh, opportunities to play and to to showcase what they can do. Because I don't, it, music doesn't have genders, mm-hmm. right? And me, female musicians, women musicians, have historically gotten the short end of the stick, and it's time for that to change. Yeah, agreed. For sure. Talking about uh, checking things off the list, I think this is one of the things based on when you're post um, Wheatland, um, mm-hmm. uh, you are going to be teaching there. I am indeed, and that sounds like something that you have wanted to do for quite a while. Yeah. So the Wheatland, the Wheatland story is is pretty. It runs deep. It's and it's been an ongoing uh, part of my 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 history and my development and my career. And uh, when I first started playing guitar, you know, right away I started a band. And uh, I'm playing, you know, with the, with my band. We're just rocking out one day. And, and then somebody just kind of in passing says, we should go to Wheatland. And I said, what's Wheatland? Mm-hmm. 
And like everybody in the band was like shocked. They turn to look and they're like, you don't know what Wheatland is? And I'm like, no, no, what's Wheatland? And they're like, dude, you would love Wheatland. And I'm like, well, let's go. And so we went to to Wheatland and absolutely on Sunday afternoon, I was walking around Wheatland, just nodding my head up and down going, yep. This is what I'm going to do with my life. This is my jam. Yeah. How old were you at this time? I was about 24 years old at okay. the time. All right. And uh, about five years later, I won a uh, scholarship through Wheatland, the Elise Fishman Scholarship, to attend a songwriting retreat weekend. And that songwriting retreat weekend was like life changing where I was like, I, you know, again, I'm like, I found my people and I feel so inspired by getting together with other songwriters to create art. Uh, so fast forward another eight or nine years and I got hired my band, Nicholas James and the Bandwagon, got hired to play at Wheatland. So this is like a huge dream come true for me. It took me 15 years to go from attending the fest. I'd never heard of it. Mm-hmm. So I attended it and then I won the scholarship and then I got to play at Wheatland. Well, now it's been a few more years and they have just invited me to come and be a songwriting instructor and to perform at the 50th anniversary festival in the fall. That's amazing. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, it, it's cool. just just keeps getting better. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and I, I feel like it's like a homecoming to be invited to to be a, a, a camp instructor at the Wheatland Summer Music Camp uh, and then also a performer at the 50th Anniversary yeah. Festival. And I think that's a really a huge compliment f- coming from Wheatland, but then also a testament to the organization itself and that they helped me and inspired me in my songwriting journey and I've embraced it with my whole heart as my entire life. And so now I feel like I'm being rewarded by yeah. being invited mm-hmm. back yeah. into the fold there. For sure. I'm very yeah. grateful for it. That's, That's awesome. Cool. Yeah. I mean, something with Wheatland that like I'd never really gotten that into it. We went to Winter Wheat this year, um, at the intersection and I could just tell there was just this community feel. There's just something about it. Um uh, name escapes me. Who was uh, the one guy playing? Anyway, he had mentioned some similar story, like his first time he got to play, and just the once you're in, you're in yeah. type of thing. Like you're in the family, and you're just you want you're like hooked type of thing. It's true, it, and it does feel like a family. In fact, I know multiple people that use that as their family reunion, <laughs> and hmm. so it seems a little crazy to think about. There's you know there's thirteen thousand people there. It's just one big old family, yeah. but it really is. It's it's that type of environment that you just want to go back every single year. So Nicholas brings you back song tellers. How did you get involved with that? And could you explain a little bit more about that? Me and my wife went and saw it one time last year. It was awesome. We loved it. That's the first time I, I I got to know who you were. So that's my starting point. But could you explain a little bit about? Yeah, the the song tellers is a songwriter in the round style showcase. It's a, a concert series that happens once a month, typically the last Sunday of the month at the Midtown Theater in downtown Grand Rapids, uh, formerly the Listening Room. Huh. But before that, I actually started it at Creston Brewery mm. uh, about six years ago. This is we, we're just wrapping up season five now, and um, it it was born out of a you know Creston Brewery is is not uh, a quiet place, mm. but they had live music there, and I and I went to go see some live music, and you know, and it's and it's pretty loud and rumbly, and then the performers started, and like the moment that the music started, everybody started talking louder. You know, trying to talk over mm. the music. And I was just kind of like looking around like, man, like I came to hear the music. And so I went on Facebook. I was all pissed off. And I was like, <laughs> I wish that when the music started at the bar that people would just get quieter instead of talking louder. Yeah. And like the comments in that were like, no way. That'll never happen. Ha ha. You're crazy. And then also, me too. Yeah, no kidding. We come to see the show. And like it was very clear that half the people thought, well, too bad. That's the way it is. And then the other half of the people were like, yeah, no kidding. Like, I wish that people would get quiet as well. And so I just had this thought that maybe we'll just ask them to be quiet. Like, we're going to get three songwriters up here on the stage, and I'm going to like introduce the show by asking everyone in the room to be quiet. 
and like maybe they'll be quiet and listen. Let's let's give it a, let's give it a try. And uh, and the the very first show it was very difficult. Yeah. You know, people people were really really struggling to understand. There was a birthday party there with like fourteen oh. people, and they, you know, they just wanted to party and have a good time. But at some point in the show, the whole entire room fell silent, and like from that moment on, everybody got it. Yeah. and it was magic. And after the show, people are coming up to me like, how did you do that? How did you, do, how did you get the whole bar to be quiet? How did you get And I was like, well, I, I asked them to. <laughs> you know? And, and uh, so we did two, two different, or two series, two years at Creston Brewery. And it was kind of a struggle. At the beginning of the shows, there'd be a lot of talking. Yeah. And as the show would go on, people would kind of get the hint. But I would like start the show every time. I'd be like, all right, raise your hand if you came to see the show. You know, so like half the people in the room put their okay. hands up, and then the other half of the people in the room would be like, "What's going on over here?" With, I'm just here for a beer and some pizza. Everybody's right. got their hands up right now. Why does everybody have their hands up? And like, it created this visual like all of these people came to sit quietly and listen to the show. So we hope that you enjoy the show, and please be respectful to those people who are sitting next to you that came to see the show. Mm-hmm. And and they were, they were great. And so when they announced that there was going to be a brand new listening room downtown, mm-hmm. I basically called them up and said, hey, what do you think about moving the song tellers into an environment that it was made right. for? Yeah, for sure. Uh, and they loved the idea. They, they said, yeah, br- bring it over. And, and we've had some truly incredible shows there because now from the moment that the show starts, it's quiet. Yeah. Yeah. You know, you're, you're there. To everyone that's everyone's there, there is to listen to, listen. to what's going on. And the whole premise of this of the show is that at most shows, you know, you you play songs, you just you finish the song, and then you play the next one, and then you play the next one, and ideally, by the time the audience finishes clapping, you're about ready to start your next song, yeah, right. you know. And sometimes, particularly in the folk world, uh, this people will talk, uh, and I have always found it to be like some of the most fascinating parts of the show is hearing what they have to say about the songs yeah right and so i thought well let's let's just like put the focus on that and like really like okay you're gonna play a song i know you're gonna play a song tell me about the song before you play the song and so it's the song tellers because it's songs and stories and we tell the story of the song like in an introduction style and sometimes it's like this is how i wrote this song you know i was playing guitar one day and this line came to me and other times people are like my grandmother grew up on a farm and you know and yeah, it's, right, the, yeah. you know it just depends you never know what the introduction or the story behind the song will be and it's always fascinating and the shows have been just absolutely magical is uh and i haven't been to one yet and i know ryan has but is it is it a back and forth between the artists or do you have one artist go and then play kind of their set do their thing and then the next one it's in the round so i will go first and then i'll introduce the first guest and they will go and i'll introduce the next guest and they will go and then we will just take turns one at a time and Um, everybody's up there for the whole show yeah yeah, that's cool yeah yeah it is and you know as a performer you're like in the audience and on the stage Mm -hmm. Uh, because it's it's as much fun as it is to to play music just in general it's more fun to play with other people and so sometimes you know the the person next to me will tell a story and then sing a song and it will make me go "Ooh, i know what i'm gonna play now Mm -hmm. because i got a a song that's about that too you know and so you never know what's gonna happen it makes it exciting for the performers as well yeah and that's kind of a cool deal that you're you're in it you're you're playing mm -hmm. your music every time but you're also you know seeing these other artists around you and you get the opportunity to play with all these different yeah well again the the idea behind it was you know like i just i want people to listen and uh the way that i chose to to try and achieve that was i have so many friends that are great songwriters and great musicians it's like let's all get together and present this in this style. I think if it was just me, it'd be like, come listen to me quietly yeah. every month. That's a whole. That's not right. doesn't have the same type. Well, of thing. a new dynamic. Yeah. Right. right. Yeah. So to hear to hear other people's stories and to to invite the community in. I mean, that's truly was the idea behind it in the first place is to showcase all the other people. I mean, right. yes, I play every right. month. Yeah, yeah. But it's really about look at how many other talented artists there are. I haven't run out of guests yet. 
In fact, I have a list at home. Uh, sometimes people hit me up and they want to play the series, and and I would love to just hire all of my friends. Mm. But we only do six shows per year, and I only have two guests per show. And I have a list of like over a hundred people Whoa, right. that I yeah. would like to feature on the show at some point. So. Uh, if you're listening to this and you want to play on the song tellers, it's not that I don't want you. It's yeah. that I I want everybody. You better get on the list now. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what is uh what's um what's uh, the most memorable show you had with that like with the artist that you've had? It's really tough to quantify the most memorable, but we okay yeah we just... have had some some truly unique performances. Uh, one of one of my favorite uh, one of my favorite guests has been uh, Jim Spalink, and Jim is a traditional Irish musician. Uh, he plays a lot of traditional Irish music, but he also composes music as well. Um, and but he doesn't sing, and so hmm. as a songwriter, inviting Jim in, I was like, I'm not sure what types of stories he's going to play hmm. because his his songs are yeah. more like you know, instrumental yeah. compositions. So I invite Jim Spalink in. He comes, he's got this like harp, you know, he's got, he's got a harp yeah. and he's up on stage and, and, you know, and I introduce it just, I'm talking, I'm casual, I'm feeling pretty good. And I was like, all right, everybody, let's hear it for Jim Spalink. Everybody claps and claps. And Jim goes, it was August, <laughs> 1972. I had flown to Ireland by myself on a backpacking journey was sitting in the woods and heard this beautiful songbird. And I thought, I need to capture this song. So 10 years later, I went back. This time, I brought a recorder with me. And I'm sitting in the woods for three days. I don't hear this bird. And finally, <laughs> I hear the bird. And it sings this most beautiful song. And I pull out my tape recorder. And I push record on the tape recorder. And the batteries are dead. Oh, no. That's awesome. So I went home and wrote this. Oh. Just the song of the bird. <laughs> yeah, and, I, awesome. and I was just like blown away right. by this yeah. introduction to the song. It's like, this is clearly, this is not like, here's a song I wrote one day. I, I don't know where it came from. Yeah. Like this, he, he traveled to Ireland twice he to capture story. this. He had you know? a story. He had a story. A cool story. That's it, and that even they just say it wasn't true. Just say, it's the, he did a great job <laughs> yeah. making up the story, right? For right. the, for the. Oh man! Wow, that's cool. Yeah, it's it's been really neat to hear where people's inspiration comes from and where their where their musical background lies. And and well, I was just thinking for every one of my favorite albums or any album I've ever purchased or I listen to regularly, I wish there was like a commentary piece that went along with it that talked about every song, right. what the lyrics meant, what it meant to them, how why they came up with the song, how they wrote it, what kind of story was behind it. You know, whether it's some death metal album or some country album that I like, you know, whatever I like, mm-hmm. it'd be cool to know. Like sometimes you'll you can research online, and you know, there's different sites that kind of break down the meanings of songs, whether they're interpreted or an actual. They heard they heard from a person or read an interview or saw an interview that they talked about the song. Like I wish I I could have that for all my favorite stuff. So it's so cool to yeah. be able to go to something like that and hear that. Yeah, yeah awesome. I agree. We uh, when I was growing up, we we had a, a handful of, of records that we would listen to pretty regularly, and uh, and I remember every time we went on a road trip, we would bring along Harry Chapin's Greatest Stories Live uh, cassette, mm-hmm. and uh, and Harry Chapin was not only a great storyteller within the context of the songs; his songs are stories and wonderful stories at that, but also he had a way of introducing them that was. Uh, just just remarkable and I thought it was just great the way that this album featured him you know singing songs and stories but then also talking in between the songs and so I've kind of some ways modeled my career after that Hmm. that it's you know it an a live performance is an experience and so the audience they they know that you're there it's okay to talk to them yeah, and I think some performers forget that. Yeah, you know, right? And they and it's very much like, "Hey, Cleveland, how are we doing tonight?" Right, right, yeah. Like, it's very superficial. It, absolutely. Yeah. Like it, it is actually okay to be to to say like, "Ooh, 
my guitar went out of tune on that one. Here, I'm, I'm going to tune it real quick. Sorry, guys. Yeah. And, and be natural and comfortable and let them see you as a, as a human being. And it, it creates like a, um, a comfortable place with the audience where then they're like willing to listen to your stories about, hey, this is how I came to write this song. I feel like I've, I've been to the Stray once or twice and saw some bands play. And I, I get that vibe where every band I've seen there, you know, a handful of them, they they talk a little bit more, maybe because it's the coffee house feel. I don't, I'm not sure what it is, as opposed to other places that I could have maybe saw them. They just they, they're kind of almost having a conversation with the audience, they're just talking about A, B, C, and D. Just adds the whole element to why you like them. It's like you hear someone say something offbeat or colorful, and you're like, yeah. Like this guy this is cool it kind of just pulls you in a little bit more it feels like you get to know him a little bit more yeah i mean that's i mean honestly this podcast as much as we we know some of the music and the guests that we have on after we talk to them i have so much more respect so much more interest in listening to their music even if it's music that i typically wouldn't listen to mm-hmm. and and i hope our audience hears that and, and listens and builds that you know kind of connection right there's you can't have you're not going to be able to talk to all these people individually but if you hear a little bit more about their story and where they come from and the things they're involved in hopefully yeah you have a more build more connection out there i hope so too because i think that's one of the greatest things about our scene is the the community aspect of it and i i remember uh, back in the 90s and there were a lot of rock bands the 90s was was a rock decade yeah, for you know? sure mm-hmm. and the music scene at that time there were a lot of bands that were having like some success you know some were having some major successes and some were like maybe on the cusp of that and instead of it feeling like that's great for everybody I remember feeling that there was some jealousy and there was like mm-hmm. some competition and like, yeah. you know, I remember one night, you know, there's, there's this band is on stage and their crowd is up front and the other band is in the back and their crowd is in the back. And when this band finished, they all went to the Swapped. back and so did their whole crowd. And, you know, and I was like, what's going on here? Like, and they're like, oh, those, those guys hate each other. Mm. And I'm like, well, how, why? How is this possible that we're in the same scene and we're playing the same shows in the same venue and there's a disconnect between the crowd and the bands. Like, okay, I get it. So-and-so slept with so-and-so. Like, yeah, right. there's some hard feelings. or they, These guys used to be in a band together, but blah, blah, blah. Well, I, I understand all of that. What I don't understand is competition over-supporting. You know, you, the people that are in your scene, these are the people that are doing the same things that you're doing. These are these are our friends. And what I feel now is like a complete and total opposite of that. I don't know anybody that's competitive. I don't know anybody that's not willing to be on a show with another band. I swear every band we've had on, they just talk up the other bands that they either currently <laughs> yeah, right. are playing with or they right. have played with or they want, hey, give a shout out to this band. They deserve it. Tons of it. It's awesome. Yeah, it is. I mean, band rivalries are cool too, but... Honestly, a, a community needs to be collaborative and supportive of each For other, sure. and that's that's really what I see when I look around in, in West Michigan and in Michigan in general. Yeah. Do you think that's changed just because of the way, and maybe this is a wrong statement, but I, there isn't the, I, I get the sense that there's not the, you need to make it attitude anymore. Like, you want to make it maybe, whatever that means. Whatever that means, yeah. But now it's so much more accessibility and and you can to your point earlier like you can stay in michigan and play mm-hmm. and 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 do what you love to do you don't have to go to these different communities just to make it um i don't know it's a, it is an interesting perspective i i've never heard that before and I, but i just wonder where that comes from or maybe it's just the evolution of where we are right now i guess uh yeah i'm not sure i think it might have a lot to do with the collapse of the record labels hmm. and the accessibility of recording and the internet, the, hmm. the ability to distribute your own music. Because it used to be, you know, the music industry was was dominated by the record labels, and you needed a label in order to put out a record. And like that kind of, you know, if you're a record label, you're like, well, we only got so much money, we only got so much time, we only mm-hmm. got so much. Like, sorry, our our label is full 
there's no room for you. Right. Whereas now there's room for everybody. There's an you know an unlimited amount of room on the internet mm-hmm. for everyone, and so there's not as much competition trying to get that one label spot. And like I don't believe that there are labels out there that are like dangling that carrot anymore either. Yeah. Like like you you have to already be successful to be on a label now. Yeah. There's nobody out there who's like, I'm going to make you famous. Let me tell you what I'm right? going to do for you. No, they come to you once you already have 30,000 followers. and are mm-hmm. already, right. They're waiting. They're, they're waiting until you watching. get to there. Because they don't want to do all the work <laughs> yeah. to help yeah. you get there. The right? band needs yeah. to do it. Yeah. Whereas yeah. the record labels used to have an artist development department. And they had people who would you know see potential and talent and help develop that. That has changed. Now we got to do that like for each other. Mm-hmm. So I so I do I think that the the accessibility of the internet has has made positive changes in the community in that way. Um, yeah, awesome. It's there's also made it harder because there's more <laughs> yeah. stuff out right. there, more it's competition, easier, yeah. more you know. And and I say competition, I, I and I mean competition in a in a healthy way. Yeah, yeah, for sure. You know that it's it's good that there are other artists out there pushing me to work harder. You know, I, I appreciate that. <laughs> and I feel like the more artists that are out there, you kind of like I pull inspiration from lots of different things, right? Like. If I, I, I have a few guitars, I, I can't say I've ever written a song, but I've written riffs and my musical taste is because of a lot of different bands I pull from. And I feel like if, if you're in a band and you can pull inspiration for whatever, the more artists that are around you, you kind of there's possibilities of more inspirations out there mm-hmm. than less bands out there. I, that's just kind of the feeling I get. The more bands we have, the better the music we're going to get. That's just that's my take. Yeah, well, I hope so. I mean, there, there's certainly, I mean, you know, let's re- be real. I'm a musician. I, I like stuff and I don't like stuff. And there's a lot of crap out there. Oh, <laughs> well, for sure. But that's fine. You know, that somebody likes that crap. <laughs> so, like, right. you know, I, that's, that's another thing is in music, you either like it or you don't. And it is pointless to try and convince somebody that they like something that they don't like. Right. And so just let that go. Like people, if people don't like your music, who cares? It's okay. Like they're half the people in this world are not going to like it. You don't like everything. So just kind of let that go. And like realizing that like it takes a lot of pressure off. Yeah. But still, I want to make good music. It's <laughs> <laughs> a great way to look at it. So speaking of like these different bands, give us a feeling, name a band or two that Maybe is is a Michigan band that you really enjoy, and maybe a band or two or artist that's not necessarily a Michigan band that you enjoy. Just kind of curious. Uh, or is that was that a hard question for some people? That's a hard question. Well, I mean, it's not a hard question to pick a Michigan band that I enjoy. It's more it's a more difficult thing to pick one. Yeah. Uh, but I'll shine the uh, the spotlight on Deerfield Run, mm. and they uh, they're a band out of Grand Rapids. Cool. Um, Alex Austin is the the lead singer and songwriter for the band, and uh, he is also a frequent collaborator of mine. And he plays guitar and mandolin and a lot of other things in my band as well. So, Deerfield Run is Alex's project, and it it's featured. It's like a four piece rock and roll band. Cool. And they they've got all the elements of like classic rock and modern rock and blues that are kind of all mixed in together. It kind of sounds like if Eric Clapton had played in the band. Yeah, yeah. You know, they just they got this this wonderful guitar player and Alex has this incredible voice. He's a great songwriter and I I just I don't think Deerfield Run gets enough uh, recognition and press and, and it's it's just such good music. So check out Deerfield Run when you get a chance. Awesome. Thank you for sharing. I will check them out. Yeah, I've heard of them, and uh, I've listened to a little bit of their music. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yep. Always got a one up me, don't you, Jeff? You know. I, I, always. <laughs> That's probably the first time you I'm always have. digging. I'm always digging. <laughs> what about a non-Michigan artist? Is there any non-Michigan artists that you really love or enjoy? Well, yeah, there's pl- there's plenty of artists that I love and enjoy. And, and when I... Uh, I'm I'm trying to think of like more smaller and local bands because it would be easy. Yeah, that's your like, focus. I mean, that's yeah, your life, basically. right? I mean, you know, of course, I, I love Bob Dylan and the Grateful Dead, yeah, and, yeah. you know, and a bunch of other bands that are that are from that. But um, one of my 
gosh, I guess I'm not thinking of any immediate collaborators that are coming to mind. Mm. I've got friends kind of peppered all over the place. It's all good. Whatever. So I guess I'll I'll, I'll take it a step further and just Mm. saying influences. And we were talking before the show started. Tool is a band that you enjoy. What other types of bands? I mean, it sounds like you have a pretty broad range. Yeah. I mean... I think most musicians tend to. Um, I my music is rooted in singer songwriter rock, mm-hmm. right? So you know stuff like a uh, Bob Dylan and, and Neil Young. Folk, uh, I mentioned okay. Harry Chapin and yeah. Jim Crowtree. Oh, you know yeah. that kind of '60s '70s era songwriter rock stuff is, is really kind of where my music like falls into. That's like your core, like your uh, base. Yeah. But yeah. at the same time, like my influences are, are much more than that. I was born in the eighties. I grew mm. up in the nineties. Mm-hmm. I started playing in a rock band around the turn of the century in 2000. So yep. like, yeah, when people find out that I'm like a huge tool fan, they're like, really? Yeah. You, that doesn't make any <laughs> sense. And I'm like, well, here's how it happened. I went to Lollapalooza to go see Snoop Dogg. Oh, yeah. What? And Tool blew my mind. Yeah, oh, right. Yeah, that's there you go. Badass. Right. So like That's hilarious. You're like, none of this makes sense. <laughs> that's too funny. That's awesome. Yeah. yeah. What was when what Lollapalooza yeah, Lollapalooza was that? Lollapalooza ninety seven. I was gonna say late nineties, yeah. For that's sure. cool. Yeah. Yeah. I've never gotten to see Lollapalooza. Hmm. Really? Yeah. yeah. I saw the one. Uh, I saw Smashing Pumpkins. Uh, I feel like I saw one other one. But, yeah, Pineapple, I saw at least once. Oh. Yeah, back then it was a touring festival. And now it's yeah. just in Chicago. Yeah, you just right. Go yeah. Chicago. Yeah. And at least it's in Chicago. So it's within an easy reach for you know, right. a three-hour drive or It whatever. could be done. Yeah, for sure. I There's so that. many festivals now, though. It's just I amazing. Know. You it's think about bonkers. back then, like there was just a few. You had the Vans. Uh, Dance tour mm-hmm. was another one. Or warped tour, warp tour, warp yeah. tour yep. and then the Lilith Fair. Lilith yeah, Fair, Lilith yeah. Fair, yeah, that's a good yeah. one. Yeah. yeah, female one. And Horde, Horde Festival. That was another one. That was a little bit later. Uh, I don't, I don't recall that one. Yeah, there's yeah. only a few All years they did stuff. that. I think. But yeah, cool. Well, Nicholas, I think it might be time to wrap this sucker up. All right. We appreciate you so much for coming out. This was such a great talk. Oh, I learned a lot. I learned a lot. Uh, yeah, how? thank you for having me. You're you're so visible out there so where can people find you online and in person because you are we didn't even talk about founders tonight i mean there's just a lot of different ways to to see you yeah the easiest way is to find me online and uh, my website is nicholasjamesthomasma.com i'm also on all the social media sites and in some ways you kind of got to follow me in all the places because mm-hmm. all the content yeah. is different you know I post, I post videos regularly to youtube i post you know, i do live streams on facebook I will do reels and stories on Instagram, and so depending on where you're following me, you you may get different different content. But every month I send out a monthly newsletter that kind of is like a recap of everything that's going on. So you can sign up for my newsletter on my website at nicholasjamesthomasma.com. That's cool because you kind of almost think you know if a, a band or an artist is not super great at doing social media, they're just kind of copying and pasting through all the things. It's the exact same thing everywhere. They make a post and it's all the same post everywhere. But if you got different content going on different platforms, that's cool. That's just more stuff. Yeah, we've kind of learned that over the years that different platforms want different things from you, yeah. right? Like Facebook wants to see your face, Instagram wants to see your art. You know, mm. there's things like. Like that and so different platforms have different things and sometimes you, you know, if good content is good content it'll go across all the places and it'll land uh, but I'm trying to uh, to entertain my uh, I'm, I'm trying to entertain my guests and so if you're if you're watching the show I hope it's an enjoyable show on social media for you <laughs> yeah that's awesome thank you so much so where, where can you uh, we catch you any live shows Anything coming up here in the Schedule? with your band or your solo project or even like when's the next Song Tellers? Sure, the next Song Tellers is um, April thirtieth with Serena Ray and Emily Petersmark, 
and then we will be off for the rest of the summer. We'll pick things back up in the fall. During the summer, I get real busy at Michigan Music Festivals, and so mm-hmm. you can find me at Wheatland, as we talked about. Mm-hmm. I will also be at Bliss Fest and Smiling Acres, uh, Buses by the Beach, Buses, yeah, that's Forest Trail Music Festival, Handmade Music Festival, the Earthwork Harvest Gathering, and a handful of others as well. Whoa, Easiest that, way to follow is just look from my, at my website. That is bi- that's a wow. That's a lot. Yeah, one That's of my friends lot. was like, can they even have a, mu- a ma- music festival without yeah, you? Yeah, right? <laughs> Damn. And, and, they, and they can. They absolutely can. But uh, I go to as many as possible. <laughs> great. Thank you so much, man. Take it easy. Hey, thank you, guys. I appreciate yeah. you having me on. Both yeah, show. for sure. <laughs> I, I didn't get to use any of my sound effects this time. <laughs> oh, man. That was awesome. If you enjoyed this episode, check out more episodes on any streaming service out there today, as well as our website, www.themittenmusic.com. You can also find playlists and concert listings there, too. Check us out on social medias, uh, Facebook and Instagram. 